<clears throat> so last time we were together in Christology, we talked about the faith of Jesus Christ. If you remember that Jesus Christ lived a, lived a life of faith. Um, when, when, we, when we talk about the faith that Jesus Christ had, uh, it's important to note that that faith that Christ has, has and had during his life really came from when he was baptized. Uh, when he was baptized, if you remember, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus Christ. Now, when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, uh, he descended upon Christ according to his it was the human nature of Christ um, that received the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why Jesus Christ was given the Holy Spirit was sorry, everyone, was for a few reasons. Now, um, the first reason was the Holy Spirit was given to Christ so that Jesus Christ could be our prophet, priest, and king, so that he can be our perfect mediator, so he can do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But also the second reason why the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus Christ was that he would be the man of faith, that he would not rely on his own divine prerogatives, that he would not rely on his divine nature when he did miracles, when he preached, when he spoke and did all the things that he did in his life and ministry. But when he preached, he preached as a man. When he did miracles, he did miracles as a man according to or in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that enabled Jesus Christ to have this unwavering faith even in the midst of all the things that he went through. I said when we met that if you think your life is bad, if you think that you and your life have gone through some pretty terrible things, and I'm not saying that you haven't, but when you consider your life and the pity party that you throw on yourself or for yourself, first consider the life of Jesus Christ. He was abandoned by almost every single person whom he encountered with. But the one person who never left him was the Holy Spirit. And the reason why Jesus Christ had this unwavering faith was because of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about the baptism of Jesus Christ, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus Christ. When you think about his baptism, is it possible to think of what type of emotions that Jesus Christ had leading up toward his baptism? What were the emotions that Jesus Christ had leading up to his baptism? Was he excited because he knew that on the account of his baptism, he would be publicly identified as the Messiah, as the long-awaited seed that would come and crush the serpent's head? 
Was there maybe a sense of dread? A sense of holy fear? Because of what his baptism signified. Yes, he was being publicly ordained to the ministry. But also, at Christ's baptism, he was picturing for us the type of death and suffering he would undergo. When he goes down into the water, he is symbolizing that he, and only he, is able to fully take on the wrath of God, fully take on the justice of God, and be that proper propitiation that we so desperately need. Is it possible that Christ going into his baptism was fearful? Was he joyful? Or did Jesus Christ have any emotions at all? Was Jesus Christ simply an unmovable rock that had no inner feelings? Did he have any emotions at all? Well, that is what we want to talk about this evening. We want to look at an aspect of the life of Christ that doesn't get a lot of attention, but the Bible screams this aspect of Christ. That is the emotions of Jesus Christ. The emotions of Jesus Christ. If someone was to ask you, did Jesus Christ ever get sad, what would you say? Did he ever cry? Did he ever laugh? Did he ever break a smile? Did he ever crack a joke? Now, many of you might say yes. But some people, in fact, many people might say no. It's impossible to think and to know that Jesus Christ had the same type of emotions that we have. But if Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son, took on a true human nature, then that must mean that he took on all of what it means for us to be us, including emotions. So this evening, I have five emotions that I want us to look at, and I think that Looking at these five emotions, we will better understand our Christ, better understand how we are to live the Christian life, and better understand the redemption that we have in him. These five emotions are this, Christ's mercy, Christ's anger, Christ's joy, Christ's tears, and Christ's love. We're going to be, I will reiterate those as we go along Mercy, anger, joy, tears, and love. Let's first consider Christ's mercy, the mercy of Jesus Christ. Charles Hodge defines mercy as kindness exercised toward the miserable and includes pity, compassion, forbearance, and gentleness. Again, mercy is kindness exercised toward the miserable which includes pity, compassion, forbearance, and gentleness. And saints, when we consider the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we see this emotion most exercised. If we were going to point to one emotion that we see Jesus Christ 
exercise the most, apart from his love, it would be his mercy. B.B. Warfield says the emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy, and whose mercy, whose ministry was so marked by deeds of benevolence that it was summoned up in the memory of his followers as a going through the land, as going through the land of good, doing good. And he's speaking of when the uh, his disciples, Christ's disciples in Acts, were summarizing the ministry of Christ. And one of the summarizations of the ministry of Christ is he went around doing good. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, what we see is a man who exemplified what it meant to be merciful to all. He was merciful to those who were sick. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 41, we read, And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Matthew fourteen fourteen. when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew verses Matthew 20 verses uh, 30 through 34 and behold there were two blind men sitting at the ro- by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was passing by they cried out lord have mercy on us son of david the crowd rebuked them telling them to be silent but they heard out but they cried out all the more lord have mercy on us son of david but notice what Jesus does and stopping Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, Jesus, in compassion, moved to mercy, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. We see Jesus having mercy on those who were hungry. In Matthew 9, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And as we read of this story, we see the reason why Jesus had mercy and compassion upon the people was not primarily because they were hungry. He didn't feed 5,000 people because they were starving necessarily. But in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. This verse really gets at the heart of Christ's mercy. His mercy wasn't towards people who were just hungry and sick. But to those who were dying in their sins. He reveals himself as the Messiah to the woman of the well in John 4. In fact, he says that, woman, I have living water for you. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. 
The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All of that is to say that Christ's mercy extended far past and beyond the body. He cared more about one's spiritual soul than if they were hungry or sick. Yes, he cared for those who were hungry and sick, but he really was trying to heal the soul. He was really trying to save them from their sins. Jesus was the embodiment of the second greatest commandment, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't merely react to those who desired mercy, but rather he actively pursued opportunities to be merciful. That should be true of us as well, is it not, saints? That we shouldn't wait for people to call on us to be or to receive mercy, but we are the ones to be actively pursuing mercy. Now, you might say, well, I pursue mercy. I give money to the homeless when I see them. When someone wants a hamburger, then I go out of my way and I buy them one. Or I was recently at Panda Express and they said, do you want to donate a dollar toward the children's hospital? And every time one asks me that, then I show mercy and I give a dollar. But saints, the type of mercy that Jesus exemplified and showed was a mercy that went far beyond the body. And it went far beyond people's physical and financial needs. But when was the last time you actually stopped and talked to that homeless person and told them about the God whom you serve? You see, saints, when we consider the mercy that we are to have, we are to liken it to Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, yes, healed the sick, but he also healed the soul. We are to touch the soul far before we try to touch one's physical or financial needs. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Saints, we are to be the most merciful people on earth. Two reasons why. Because God commanded it and because our Lord exemplified it. So we see the first emotion that Jesus Christ had, and that is mercy. He was a merciful savior, a merciful prophet, priest, and king. Now let's consider Christ's anger. Christ's anger. In addition to Christ showing mercy in his life, we also see that he showed anger. In the life and ministry of Christ, his aim was to do one thing. And that was to please his father who was in heaven. In fact, Christ's main goal was to do the will of God. Christ always, 24-7, had the mind of God. The very things that please God are the very things that pleased Christ. The very things that angered God are the very things that angered Christ. And we see this on full display in the Gospel of Mark. When we read in Mark chapter 3, uh, the story of the man with a withered hand. Verses 1 through 5 say this. Again, he entered the synagogue 
And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm or to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Here we see Christ's mercy on display by healing this man with a withered hand. But we also see Christ's anger on display. In the context, Jesus' anger manifested itself when he was doing good. In other words, Christ's anger was a righteous anger. He had a right reason to be angry. He was angry at the Pharisees because they were ignoring the sick man's need, but also because the Pharisees were blind to God's grace. They were upholding God's law. Mind you, all of the Pharisees' view of God's law was a distorted view of God's law, but they were upholding their own interpretation of God's law over God's grace and mercy. We read of the same scenario in John 10. And when they, in uh, verses 13, 14, say this, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now that word uh, indignant simply means a feeling or showing anger because of something unjust or unworthy. You guys have felt that type of emotion before when something around you that you see is unjust, you get angry. That's exactly the situation in Mark chapter 10. The people were bringing children to Jesus so that... Jesus could bless them, but the disciples angrily and sinfully rebuked the children from coming to Jesus. But notice Christ's response. He didn't simply respond as a peacemaker, but as someone who is angrily disappointed with his disciples. The disciples should have known better. They should have known the nature of the kingdom of God. They should have had compassion Upon the children, Christ's response was one of righteous indignation. He had a right reason to be angry. And this righteous anger can be seen in Christ's enraged clearing of the temple in John 2 and Mark 11. It can be seen in Matthew 23 when he tells the Pharisees uh, of their hypocrisy. It can be seen in Matthew 7 when he calls the false prophets ravenous wolves. All these examples of Christ's anger show us that our Lord was one who sought after truth even in the face of injustice. In the presence of wrong, Christ always stood up for what's right. And we saints should model our Lord's example, should we not? Anger is a good thing, believe it or not. If that anger is directed towards something that is Morally unjust, 
That's morally wrong. It's a good thing to be angry at those who abort their children. It's a good thing to be angry with those who slander the name of God. Mark Jones says, and hear this quote, not expressing anger in the presence of injustice is not a sign of, of godliness, but rather of moral weakness. What a great and true quote that is. And I believe, saints, that this is the problem with most Christians today. That in the face of injustice, not speaking up does not show that you are a godly person. It just shows that you are morally weak. That you do not uphold God's righteous standard for what is right and what is wrong. And the reason why we don't speak up is because many of us don't want to be offensive. We don't want to offend anyone. We have such a problem in our world today of overstepping the boundaries and stepping on toes. We don't want to say anything because we don't want to make anyone mad. But friends, in order for us to uphold God's righteous standard, his righteous law, in order for us to uphold the image of God that we all are created in, we have to risk being offensive. At all costs, we have to risk being offensive in order for us to be Christians. In order for the church to be the church, we have to risk being offensive. The gospel is offensive. The good news that we share is the one new good news that people dread. Because it tells you that you cannot save yourself. God's law is offensive because it says you cannot do this. Saints, we as Christians, in order for us to uphold what truth is and that standard of truth, we have to risk being offensive in the workforce, in the marketplace, in our homes, in our churches. Speak with gentle words. Speak with wise words, but always speak the truth. For that's what our Lord did. And for the sake of truth, if we get angry, then so be it. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry anger. Now, saints, let's consider Christ's joy. In light of Christ's anger, we have to ask, did our Lord ever experience joy? We read in Isaiah 53 that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, that he was despised and that he was rejected by men. If we could ever excuse someone for lacking joy, that person would be Jesus Christ. So I ask you again, did Jesus Christ ever experience joy? Paul in Galatians 5.22 says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And one of the ways we know that the Spirit indwells within us is the joy that it produces in us. There is an unspeakable, infathomable joy that we all have. An indescribable joy that we have as Christians because we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are alive in Jesus Christ. And the same can be said of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ at his baptism was given the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways we know that we are of the Spirit is the joy that we have. And 
since that is true, since Jesus Christ was given the Holy Spirit, that must mean that he experienced joy in his soul. For that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to have joy. Here are a few examples. Luke 10, 21, in the same hour, he rejoiced. In the same hour, Jesus Christ rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He says to his disciples in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be uh, made full. The joy that Christ is speaking of is an indescribable joy that I think that none of us, even when we get to glory, will fully comprehend. The joy that Christ is speaking of, the joy that he had, was the joy of him knowing that his Father loves him and that his Father is pleased with him. The joy that Jesus Christ had was that eternal fellowship that was never broken for one second. But I think what brought Christ the greatest of joy is found in Hebrews 12, too, a, a verse that we all are familiar with. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. B.B. Warfield said, commenting on this verse, that the joy that Christ has is like the joy of a conqueror setting captives free. It's like the officer setting all the prisoners free. Our Lord was indeed a man of sorrows, but he also was a man of great joy. There was a joy that Christ possessed saints. That the Pharisees could not touch. There was a joy that Christ possessed that the Roman soldiers could not kill. And there was a joy that Jesus Christ possessed that the world could not comprehend. It's the same joy that he gives to you. He tells his disciples, my peace, I leave with you. The world doesn't understand this type of peace and joy that we have. The joy that Christ had in his life and ministry was him knowing that his father would not abandon his soul to Sheol or let his Holy One see corruption. The joy was him knowing that his father would glorify him with the same glory that they shared in eternity. The joy that Christ had was him knowing that on the account of his perfect life and death that he would bring many sons to glory. That is the joy that Christ had in his life and ministry, saints. And that is the joy that we are to have as well. That you are no longer a slave to sin, but you are alive in Christ. I remember Pastor Antonio said this a couple of weeks ago, but we are to have a smile on our face. We should be the most happiest, joyous people in all of the earth. For we have the greatest gift in all of the earth in all of the in universe, and that is peace with God. 
That is being children of God. Now let's move on to our fourth point, and that is Christ's tears. Christ's tears. When one studies the person of Christ, one of the most remarkable facts of the incarnation is that the eternal son, the second person of the Trinity, really did take on all of what it means to be human. Hebrews 4.15 says of our Lord, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Our Lord was tempted just as we are tempted. He ate just as we ate. He laughed just as we laugh. He slept just as we sleep. No human experience was excluded from our Christ. And likewise, we can say no human emotion was excluded from our Christ. Jesus was no stoic who hid his feelings. He was no robot or some unmovable rock who had no internal feelings or emotions. Jesus Christ shed tears just as we shed tears. And we see this displayed in two moments in the life of Christ. The first is seen in John 11. And in John 11, we have the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus was someone who was sick and ill and essentially was on his deathbed. Mary and Martha urged Jesus to come and heal Lazarus of his sickness. They are they're pleading with him to come and to heal Lazarus the friend whom he loves. We pick up the story in verses 30 and 36. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met, uh, met him. When the Jews who were in, uh, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So she's blaming Jesus Christ for the death of her brother. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. What we see from this story is the compassion that Christ had toward his friend whom he deeply loved. Jesus didn't just stand back while others were weeping. But Jesus joined in the sadness of others with his own heartfelt grief. He didn't just stand back while others were crying, but he united his tears with those who were crying. Our Lord wept. What a, what a marvelous thing to even ponder. The eternal son who was impassable, which means that he's unable to undergo emotional change, wept. He is the man of Romans twelve fifteen, 
that Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. The second moment of Christ's life where we see this emotion on display is found in Luke 19. This is in this context, Jesus is looking over the city of Jerusalem and in verse 41, we read, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, wept, shed tears. The tears of Jesus over Jerusalem was the sad reality that his own people rejected him. They rejected his message. They rejected who he was. Jesus, at that very moment, was feeling sorrow for those who are going to spend an eternity in hell. Mark Jones says, more than any other human being, Jesus knew not just the joys of eternal life in heaven, but also the tears of eternal punishment in hell. He knew vividly what he could see, what he can save people from, which only heightened his agony over the wicked unbelief. I can save you. I am the only way to salvation. But yet they rejected the Messiah. Jesus wept because it was an appropriate response to the grim realities of death and Lazarus in hell over Jerusalem. Jesus felt sorrow in his life, saints. And we aren't to think that Jesus never felt any sort of despair or sadness. You think Jesus was not sad and felt sorrow and maybe even shed tears when one of his closest friends, Peter, abandoned him? You think that Jesus was not sorrowful and maybe even shed a tear when everyone left, when one of his disciples, Judas, betrayed him? He had emotions and feelings just like us. Saints, we are to take note of Christ's tears, especially over, for one, the death of his friend, that Jesus knew Lazarus' eternal destiny. He knew that on the account of his life, death, and resurrection, that, Je- that Lazarus was going to be saved, that he's going to spend eternity with him. But even in light of that, he wept with those who weep. He showed compassion and came at people where they currently were. But also we see, as he wept over Jerusalem, he saw that people are dying in their sin. And saints, when's the last time that you wept over people dying in their sin? I, for one, am guilty, for I don't weep enough. I don't feel sorrowful enough when I hear that someone died. And I don't ask, were they believers in Christ? It's okay to weep. It's okay to feel sorrowful over the things that we are to feel sorrowful over. In the life of Jesus Christ, he exemplified that more than any others. Now, saints, let's consider our last and final point. The last and final emotion, and that is Christ's love. 
the love of Jesus Christ. In the life of Jesus Christ, at the heart of each and every one of his emotions was love. That was at the heart. That was behind every single emotion. Out of love for those who were sick and helpless, he showed mercy. Out of love for truth, he got angry. Out of his love for his father and the promises of his father, Christ was full of joy. Out of love for his friend and the lost, Christ shed tears. It was the emotion of love that drived each and every emotion of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved his father. He said in John 14:31 that the world knows that he loves his father because he does what his father commanded him. All that Christ did in his life was out of love for his father in heaven. Why did Jesus Christ save you? What was the motivation? Because he loved his father who was in heaven. Jesus loved his disciples. He tells them in John 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. In that same chapter, his greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus loves his disciple, John. In fact, what is John known as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Jesus loved Judas. And that might be a shocker to all of us. How can Jesus Christ love Judas? Well, Jesus Christ obeyed each and every one of the commandments. What does he say in Matthew 5? Love your enemies. Jesus loved children. He loved those who were sick. He loved sinners. And he loved his own people. So in summary... What have we learned this evening? What can we take away? Well, in a nutshell, Jesus lived a holy life with holy emotions. Jesus lived a holy life with holy emotions. The sinless one was angry, yet did not sin. He shed tears, but they weren't tears because he sinned against God and he was sorrowful over what he did. Our Lord lived a life of holy emotions. And the takeaways we receive from this lesson are threefold. There are just three quick takeaways that we can walk away with. The first takeaway is by studying Christ's emotions, we see that he truly was human. By studying Christ's emotions, we see that he truly was human. He is the eternal son of God. He is the eternal. He is an eternal person. He has a divine nature who added to himself a true human nature. And hear me, saints. And it is by his human nature and his human nature only. That the emotion of mercy, the emotion of anger, the emotion of sorrow, the emotion of joy and that the emotion of love came upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, did not experience sorrow. But Jesus Christ, as man, was sorrowful. Christ, as man, shed tears. Christ, as man, experienced joy, anger, and mercy. Second takeaway we receive from this lesson 
is that we are to model the holy life of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that we get, we are to understand that Jesus Christ set for us an example that we are to follow. We are to pattern and mirror the holy emotions of Jesus Christ. Each and every emotion that Christ experienced was necessary and holy. Every single one was necessary and was a right response to the right situation. He lived the words of Ecclesiastes 3, which says, There was a time to weep, there was a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. In Jesus Christ's life, he lived those words. The Holy Spirit governed his emotions perfectly. He was merciful to those who needed mercy he was angry at those who were morally unjust he was joyous because he had a perfect relationship with his father he shed tears with others who shed tears and he loved because we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourself saints this is the type of emotional life that we are to live the way others can see Christ in us, if you want others to see Christ in you, is how we show mercy to others, how we care about truth, how we have a joy that is incomprehensible, how we weep with those who weep, and how we love others because Christ first loved us. And the third and final takeaway is this. Since we know about the emotional life of Jesus Christ, we learn more about our redemption in Christ. And one example of this is seen on the cross. Christ, and stay with me here, Christ lived a life where he was merciful to all. Even to the Pharisees. It was out of mercy, but also anger. That he told them what they needed to hear. Yet on the cross, he received no mercy. The one who said, blessed are those who exemplify and give mercy was the one who received no mercy at all on the cross. In his life, he was merciful to those who needed mercy. Yet at that one time, in the darkest hour in the world's history, when Jesus Christ needed mercy the most, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one time when he needed his father the most, he received no mercy at all. In Christ's life, he was righteously, he righteously got angry. Yet on the cross, the righteous anger and wrath of God was poured upon his only begotten son. In Christ's life, he shed tears, but never could his sorrow take his joy away. 
and on the cross, although it was history's darkest day, the light of Christ's joy never burnt out. Even in the midst of him crying out to his father, he still, the father was still his God. He still was a believer that God would not abandon his son. And finally, in Christ's life, we see that he loved his friends. We see that he loved his family. And we see that he loved his enemies. But on the cross, he shows his love for us. In the greatest display of love mankind has ever recorded. That the sinless one became sin on our behalf. So that in Christ, by faith alone, we will have life in him. Saints, what have we learned this evening? And what have we saw? We saw the glory of our Christ on display. That Jesus Christ lived a life of holy obedience to his Father. That Jesus Christ relied on the Holy Spirit. And that reliance and obedience to his God was a life that was lived of holy emotions and holy, a holy love, a holy mercy, a holy anger, holy tears. And we are to model that one whom we have spoken of this evening. Let's pray.